Today on Crossroads in Culture, we're going to continue our series on the seven statements of Christ from the cross as we look at the second statement that Jesus made to one of the two thieves that were crucified on either side of him and how Jesus offered hope in life's darkest moments. That's today on Crossroads in Culture. Today we look at the second statement that Jesus made from the cross as we are in this series for these next few days as we as we lead up to Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, which is a week from this Sunday. And we're, we're looking at the statements Jesus made and the significance of those and how we can find hope in life's darkest moments. Yesterday we talked about the first statement that Jesus made from the cross, which was when he prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now, Jesus was laying down his life as a sacrifice for the sins of the world, for the sins of all people. And, and Jesus was praying to the Father to forgive them. What they were doing, they, they were doing in ignorance is what Scripture tells us. But, but we, we realize that ignorance does not make a person any less a sinner, that all of us have sinned against God. We're all guilty, and we're all in need of God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ and what he has done. And that, and that Jesus was this righteous, he met the righteous demands of a holy God, that he was the perfect sacrifice who shed his blood for us. But not only did he pay the price for our sin, but when he was on the cross and in praying this prayer, he was modeling for us what it looks like to extend forgiveness to those who have hurt us, who have deeply wounded us. And we can't offer or extend forgiveness in our own strength. There's no way we can do that. It is only in having a relationship with Jesus and experiencing the forgiveness of Christ and his work in us that we can forgive those who have deeply wounded us. Well, today we're going to be talking about the second statement that Jesus made from the cross. And he spoke this to one of the criminals who died there uh, at the same time with him. There were two criminals who had been condemned for their crimes, and they had been sentenced to die. And they justly, they were, des- they were, they were deserving of this death penalty. Uh, we don't know all the extent of what they had done, but, but obviously it was enough to carry with it this death penalty. And so as these two robbers, these two thieves are on the cross, um, they initially begin to revile him. The Gospel of Matthew tells us this, that both of them were reviling Jesus. They were mocking him. But somewhere in the process of dying, and perhaps in the beginning of this, from what we see with these seven statements, that one of the thieves looked to Jesus, and he must have seen something. He, there was something about Jesus, even in his dying, that one of the criminals looked to Jesus and asked that Jesus would remember him when Jesus entered into paradise. So what what is this second statement that we're going to look at, this statement of when Jesus said, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise, what does that mean? And what hope does that give us in life's darkest moments? So I'm going to read a passage of scripture from the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 23, uh, verses 32 through 43. And if you're sitting at home or at a place where you could open your Bible or your Bible app and read this, you can follow along with me. Or if you're listening to this as you're driving, then obviously we don't want you to look at the scriptures. I'm going to read this. And, and as I read it, just, just think on the words that are being spoken, what, what Luke has written in this gospel, 
And then the statement that Jesus makes to this one criminal, we're going to unpack this and see how does this really affect us and why is this so significant? So here's what Luke writes in Luke chapter 23, beginning with verse 32. He says, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, this was the first statement we looked at yesterday. So if you missed that episode of the podcast, I encourage you to go back and listen to that. Um, but he's prayed this prayer, Father, forgive those, those who are crucifying him, those who are mocking him, those who are in the crowd. He's, and and he's, he's saying to God, God, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. Back to the text, it says, and they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him saying, he saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over Jesus, and it said this, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who were hanged railed at Jesus, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we're receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And the criminal said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And this, this statement that Jesus makes to the criminal who looked to Jesus and saw something, there was something going on that caused this criminal to ask Jesus to remember him when Jesus entered into his kingdom. And then Jesus' response to this, today you'll be with me in paradise. What, what, a, what a grace-filled statement. Now, as we, as we look at this, there are some things I think we can draw from this statement and from the text of Scripture. And, and again, I, th I think we see, first of all, that, that Jesus stepped into our brokenness, and he took on all of our sin. And we, we see that with Jesus' death on the cross. And, and Paul writes this, the Apostle Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He said, for our sake, God made him, speaking about Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So, so in that, Jesus on the cross displays a love that compelled him that compelled Jesus to step into the mess of our broken world and take upon himself our sinfulness. You know, when Jesus left the throne of heaven, he left as fully God, and he came and God took on flesh. Jesus is not just the Son of God. He is God the Son. And it was his deep love for his creation, for, for us as humanity, that he stepped into the mess of our broken world and took upon himself our, sin, our, our sinfulness. And there's something, something beautiful of this. And, and, and we see this, really, this, this picture of Jesus in between two criminals. 
And, and to me, it's a, it's a perfect visual, a perfect picture of Jesus stepping in to the midst of our brokenness and our sinfulness in the midst of our circumstances. And he did that because of his, his unconditional love for us. I mean, that many of you, maybe you grew up going to church, maybe you didn't, um, and, but you somewhere have heard this verse or you've seen it. If, if you've watched Super Bowls, Bowls somebody or, or some sporting event, you always see somebody with the John 3.16 sign, right? And, and so this passage, John 3.16 says this, for God so loved the world. And I want to stop there just for a moment because that word so is so important. It didn't say for God loved the world. It says for God so loved the world. I mean, he he loved us and loves us to a full extent. We talked about that just a little bit yesterday, that Jesus loved us to the very end. But John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And although we will die physically because sin brings about death physically, sin also brings about death spiritually. And that so what Jesus is saying in that text is is that whoever places their faith in Jesus will not perish spiritually, but will have everlasting life. And so Jesus stepped into the mess of this brokenness so that he might bridge the gap between God and humanity. And it's only through Jesus that that we can find salvation. Now, here's part of how we can find hope in life's darkest moments. Jesus didn't come to save you from your difficult circumstances. We, we need to understand that in this life that we live, we're going to face, we're going to face difficulties. We're going to encounter struggles. There are going to be a lot of things that that speak to and are reflective of brokenness. But Jesus came to do something much greater, something much bigger than that. He came to save your very soul. He came to save you. That's what we need most, forgiveness of sin and his great salvation. Now, one criminal who had died there on the cross next to Jesus was looking at his dire circumstances but failed to see the deadness of his soul. The other criminal who cries out to Jesus saw what was going on, and he realized that he needed salvation, and he needed something, not only just for his physical death that he's facing, but also there was something going on when he realized that there was a paradise to be gained, that there was a heaven to be gained, that there was a relationship to be had with the God of the universe. Something was going on supernatural there at the place of the skull at Golgotha. And one of the criminals saw it and turned to Jesus. And the other criminal looked at his dire circumstances, but he failed to see the deadness of his soul. Now, I think as we walk through this, what we're going to see is that, that we are a lot like the thieves. And some of you are not seeing the deadness of your soul. And there are others perhaps that, that as you've been listening to this, or maybe as God has been at work and you've heard maybe sermons, or you've just, something's been happening, you've sensed that there's something missing in your life. And I would just simply say to you that, to cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, will you remember me? Would you save me? And don't be like the other criminal who failed to see the deadness of his soul. Because Jesus has stepped into our brokenness. He has taken on all of our sin. 
their sanitation department went on strike. And so all of this garbage began to pile up in the city of Philadelphia. And so it was a crisis situation. They looked for different states that would be willing to take their garbage for a fee. Um, Ohio and Georgia were two states that declined. And so an owner of a ship, a ship called the Pelicano, uh, found out about this, and he thought this was a way that he could make some money. So he told Philadelphia that he would take their 28 million pounds of garbage, and they could incinerate it into ash and scraps, and he would have it loaded upon his ship, and he would take it to another country um, and offload it there for a fee and be able still to turn a profit. So that's exactly what happened. The Pelicano took all of the garbage of Philadelphia and set sail. It went to 11 different countries, and not one country allowed them to, to dump the garbage uh, there. For over two years, this ship looked for a place, for some country, for someone to take the garbage from this ship. No one did for over two years. And then finally, there was one country who said, you can port here, and we will take all of your garbage. In the same way, Jesus steps into our mess, our world, our circumstances of our brokenness, and he takes on all of our sin. He took on all of our garbage, all of the stuff that we have in this life, and he said, give it to me and I will take it. That's what the cross represents, him taking our sin, our brokenness upon himself. And that's the beauty of the cross. Jesus steps into our brokenness and took on all our sin. That's what he did for us and for the thieves that were there on the cross. But then there's the thief that acknowledged his sin and surrendered to the Savior. I wonder if, if Jesus' statement earlier, this first statement that he made, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I wonder if that statement echoed in the mind of this criminal and eventually gripped his heart. I mean, without a doubt, he saw what Isaiah described in Isaiah 53. I read that yesterday. If you didn't have a chance to go back and, and go and read that, you might want to do that. And not that the criminal would have known Isaiah 53, but without a doubt, he saw what Isaiah described uh, in that text. And so something happened for the thief to acknowledge his sin and surrender to the Savior Jesus. You know, one thing I think we could say is that he went from from a reviler to a worshiper. I mean, again, in Mark 15, it tells us those who were crucified with him also reviled Jesus. And when you think about the gospel and what Jesus did on the cross, the gospel doesn't demand works, it demands worship. And so this thief goes from reviler to worshiper, and something happened to lead him to that place. And that's really the heart of the gospel is that the gospel demands our worship. Our worship is, is giving our full affection to Jesus, that we long to be in his presence. We long to be with him. Worship is not just music, by the way. Worship is our devotion and our affection that we give to Jesus. We want to be in his presence. And the, the truth about the gospel is we can't work our way to salvation. There was nothing that the thief could have done I mean, he was on a cross. He was already condemned to die. How could he work himself, work his way to salvation, to a right relationship with God? There was nothing he could do. He was on the cross. And in the same way, there is nothing that you or I can do to work our, ourselves, work our way to 
salvation and to Jesus and this, this hope that we find only in him. We can't, there's, there's nothing you could do. You can't go to church enough. You can't give enough. You can't do enough good deeds because works do not equate to salvation. Now, I know we like to think that in our culture, that if I'm good enough, if I work hard enough, if I work at enough good deeds, then I can work my way to salvation. But that's not what salvation is. Salvation, uh, the gospel, demands our worship. It is understanding that I can't work my way to you, God. I, I Something has to happen. You have done everything, Jesus, and made a way for me that if I would surrender myself to you, in worship, if I would, if I would give my affection and my devotion to you, realizing I'm a sinner and in need of your forgiveness, which is the first act of worship, by the way, and and give my life to Jesus, what ends up happening is, as a result of my salvation, as a result of me giving my life to Jesus, it will overflow in producing what Scripture says uh, is fruit that is in keeping with repentance. In other words, if I truly give my life to Jesus, I want to work in such a way where I, where I, where it is revealed that I truly do have a relationship with Jesus. But you can't work your way to a relationship with God. You can't work your way to salvation. Salvation is a free gift of God that is given to us by grace through faith. So God, by grace, has exhibited that in sending his son Jesus to die on the cross. And then our response is putting our faith in what God has done in Christ. And that is an act of worship. It's not an act of works. So this thief acknowledged his sin and surrendered to the Savior. That was worship. And it changed this criminal's life. Although it was a short-lived life here on this earth, it changed his, his eternal destiny his eternity. Here's another thing I think we can see as Jesus died on the cross and this statement was made um, to the criminal. Today you will, be, you will be with me in paradise. The promise of Christ to sinners who repent is a clear picture that salvation is an act of grace, not works. So again, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, and then verses 8 and 9 Paul writes this, he says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. In other words, it's not your works. There's, there's no effort you can give or exert to save yourself or to be saved. Paul says this is not your own doing. It is the gift of of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. No one's going to be able to say, you know what, I did all of this work, I did all these great things, I went to all of these church services, I did all of this stuff in our, my community, and as a result of that, I ended up saving myself. God's Word says no one can boast of that because the truth is you can't save yourself. You cannot work yourself to salvation. It is a free gift of God. It is an act of grace, not work. Now, now here's what is so good about this that God gives us a promise in Christ to, to every sinner who repents. He extends this grace and his great salvation. And here's the beauty of this, that no one is beyond the reach of God's great salvation. No one. 
You know, there are a lot of popular fixer-upper shows, right, that you may watch. I know fixer-upper is one of them, uh, what Flipper Flop and My Hometown. And, I mean, there's, there's so many of them. I mean, you could watch these on HGTV, I mean, ad nauseum, right? And some of you may be even into fixing up homes and flipping them and selling them. And, and man, that's awesome. I, I would love to do that, but I, I don't know. There's something about me and my power tools, and it, it just doesn't jive. I don't know what it is, although I like to, to do things like that. But it's, that's, that's just not, I'm not to that scale. I'm not to that level. But you've, you've seen these shows, right? And you watch them, and some of these homes that they buy and the prices they pay for these homes, especially like in California, and for those of you who are listening in California, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But they, they see these homes, and, and they just look dilapidated. And, and they, they're like, yeah, I'm going to buy this. I'm going to fix it up, and I'm going to sell it for you know half a million dollars. And my thought is, these guys, these people are crazy. I mean, who's going to pay that amount of money for this house, especially when it looks like this? And this looks way, this looks too far gone to me. And yet what happens is, you know how it goes. They, they go through the show and they start gutting the house. You know, they rip up the carpet. They, they you know, take down um, the studs and the, and, and the walls. And they, I mean, they, they, they do all of this stuff and they strip it bare in many cases and they rework the house and then they put it back together again and they make it all new. They make it fresh. They renovate it. And at the end of the show, they have the, the reveal and they reveal for the couple who is wanting the house renovated or whatever. And of course, you're not going to see a show where people are like, oh, that's not really what I thought it would be. That's kind of, can I get my money back? Right. You don't see those, but, but the ones you do see, man, these people are stoked. They are excited. They're crying. They're hugging. I mean, it's just, they're ecstatic because what they saw and then what they get as a result is, is night and day. They saw what was dilapidated and, and, and wrecked and something wonderful has happened. And in the same way, when God looks at us, he looks at our lives and sees the effects of sin, how sin has wrecked us. And, and some maybe seem more wrecked than others, but the bottom line is every one of us, because we're all sinners, our life is wrecked, and we're all in need of redemption. We're all in need for God to do something that is a soul renovation that only he can do. And what is so amazing about God and the beautiful thing about him is that when he looks at your life and he looks at what is wrecked, God can do wonders. No one is too far from God. So as you're listening to this, I want you to know what we can see when Jesus is on the cross and he makes this statement after the criminal says to him, Jesus, will you remember me when you enter your kingdom? Jesus could have said, are you kidding me? You deserve this. Your life is a wreck. As a matter of fact, your life is too far gone. You are just moments away from breathing your last breath. What do you expect me to do? But Jesus didn't say that, did he? And the reason why is because it was for people like him and people like us that Jesus came. And when he looked at the criminal, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. In other words, Jesus said, your life is a wreck, but I'm about to do a wonder. No life is too far gone. So if you're listening to this and you think, man, my life is just, I'm just too addicted. I'm too much in bondage. I'm too far gone. My life has been a wreck. You're the reason 
I'm the reason. Every person is why Jesus came, for the Father's glory, but for our salvation. You're not too far gone. That's the incredible beauty of the gospel. I love what the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 59.1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. In other words, you're not too far gone. God desires to save you, even though you have rebelled against him and been an enemy of his. Even though you would say, well, I'm not an enemy of God. I, I love God. Well, the reality is if you're a sinner separated from God, never truly given your life to Christ, the Bible says that we're enemies of Christ. And yet Jesus desires to save us. There's a, there's a great movie called Hacksaw Ridge. Maybe you've seen it, maybe you've not. It's a story of a, it's a true story about a guy named Desmond Doss. He was a medic. Uh, and you just need to watch the movie. It's incredible. But he encounters a Japanese soldier um, when he is on Hacksaw Ridge, which was one of the, the bloodiest and most intense battles that we had in World War II. And so he encounters a Japanese soldier, which was his enemy. And this, and his enemy, this, this Japanese soldier was, was wounded and really was on the verge of death. But Desmond Doss, instead of him seeing him as the enemy, he saw him as a human being in need of help. And so with mercy and grace, Desmond Doss approaches the soldier and begins to bandage his wounds. And that's what Jesus did, not only for the criminal on the cross, but for us. See, this thief on the cross next to Jesus who cried out, remember me, was sentenced to down a cross that he deserved, but at his last breath, he would enter a kingdom he didn't deserve. So just know this, you're not so far gone that Jesus, Jesus hasn't made a way for you to be saved. Just a couple of more things I think we can observe and kind of glean from this statement is that the gift of salvation is never delayed to a sinner who repents. It's not delayed. I mean, Jesus said, this is the cool thing in this statement. He said, today you will be with me in paradise, today. See, salvation is not a seven-day trial to see if it sticks, right? For the one who's truly repentant, you're swept up and, and into God's great salvation through Jesus. You get the whole package of salvation. It's not delayed. It's not Jesus saying, well, I'm going to wait and see if you really do this, and then you can, you can get the whole package of salvation. Jesus doesn't say that. He said to the, he said to the thief on the cross today, because you have ex expressed faith by realizing that, that there is paradise that I have, that I am the king of the kingdom, that I am the king of all kings, and that I am the one who can save you, today you'll be with me in paradise. So maybe you've come to the realization that you need Jesus as your Savior. We all do. And you're wondering, well, what do I do? Well, yesterday I, I, I gave an example of a, of a prayer that you could pray, just asking Jesus to forgive you of your sin and asking him to be Savior of your life. And I want to go back and listen to that. But maybe you're at a place where you realize you need Jesus as a Savior. And when you cry out to him, salvation is not delayed. Hope is not deferred. Hope is received. Life is received. And salvation is received the moment you fully, sincerely put your faith and trust in Jesus. Today, you'll be with me. That's the cool thing. And here's, here's what's so great about us now. is I don't have to wait to experience the paradise of Jesus, the presence of Jesus when I die. The, the incredible 
reality and truth of salvation is that when I give my life to Jesus, I experience I experience Christ now. I experience his presence now because his spirit comes to reside and live in me, in us as believers, right? And where Jesus is, that's paradise. Where Jesus is, that's heaven. Now, there is a literal heaven to come. There is a kingdom coming. But know this, that God's kingdom is where he rules and reigns. And if you are a follower of Jesus, his rule and reign is in you because the Spirit resides in you. So the gift of salvation, it's never delayed to a heart that is repentant. Here, here's, here's the last thing I'll, I'll share with you, and that's that paradise is not lost, but it's gained for those who trust in the one who makes all things new. And that's what Jesus came to do to make all things new. He made all things new by dying on the cross and being resurrected from the dead. Is what we celebrate on Easter Sunday. But there's coming a day when he will make all things new. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And I can't wait for that day that no longer will we have to deal with sin and pain and death and disease and divorce and injustice and violence and prejudice and poverty and abuse and hunger and addiction disappointment or sadness. We won't have to deal with that anymore because Jesus said he's coming to make all things new. And I know that's true because scripture tells me, as a matter of fact, in Revelation chapter 21, verse five, it says, and he who was seated on the throne, that's Jesus said, behold, I am making all things new. I can't wait for that day. For the thief on the cross, what Jesus was saying to him is I'm about to make all things new for you. <laughs> you are about to, to be with me in paradise. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine what that's going to be like. But I know what it, it's like knowing Jesus now and having his spirit dwell in me. See, paradise is not lost. It's gained for those who trust in the one who makes all things new. And if you're banking on this world being paradise, well, this is as good as it's going to get. And when you look at what's taking place in our culture, man, things aren't that great. There are some good things that we can that we can experience. But if this is all you're living for, then you've missed it. And, and here's the reality. I think you know it. I think you know this. There's something in you that longs for more. If you were fully satisfied with everything this world had to offer, you would never be seeking something better. But God has said, I have something far beyond what you could ever imagine. And it's only through Jesus that we can know this and receive this. So here's the takeaway. Which thief are you? I mean, we've all done wrong, but have you acknowledged your sin? And have you turned to Jesus for the forgiveness of sin? Your sin has condemned you, but Jesus has come to save your life. One thief rejected Jesus, but the other repented. So which thief are you? I hope that as you listen to this, if you've never trusted Jesus again, that you would surrender your life to Jesus. Feel free to reach out to me by commenting on this. Uh, I would love to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. But which thief are you? My hope is that you would be able to hear Jesus say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Even though this may not be your moment to die, and I pray that it's not, if you trust Jesus as your Savior, today you'll be with him in paradise. He will come and his spirit will reside in you. He will save you from your sin. What an incredible statement. And it is a statement that gives us hope in life's darkest moments. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this 
episode of our seven statements of Christ from the cross. And I really do hope that you will, if you've been encouraged by this, challenged by this, that you will share this with other people, share it on your social media posts, um, and let people know about how they can, can, can get this and walk with us over these next few days as we look more at the seven statements of Christ. Now, this is Friday, so we'll pick back up on Monday as we look at the third statement that Jesus made from the cross and the significance that it has and how we can find hope in life's darkest moments. I hope you have a great weekend. Thanks again for taking time to join me on this episode of Crossroads and Culture, and I look forward to you joining me again on Monday as we look at the third statement of Jesus from the cross. Have a great weekend.